book of Colossians. It's going to be in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I'll just read this over you guys. Paul writes that, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has also fallen another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you to forgive. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Thanks, Christian. Well, hi, I am BJ. I am also a staff pastor here. Uh, typically spend my time uh, with the youth. And um, we meet on Wednesdays. We're going through James. It's a blast, and I love it. So that's who I am. Today we're going through 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. If you want to get your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to take a small chunk, uh, 7 through 10, 7 through 10. It's funny to take a small chunk and a huge issue, massive issue, um, an issue that most in America and, and throughout the world would say is maybe the largest issue even among secular individuals, and that is love and where love comes from, the source of love. I'm going to read through the passage just to give us an overview this morning. Verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4 of 1 John. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So the source of something is a powerful thing. This is a powerful thing. The source of anything really can be a very, very powerful thing. Um, in almost any scenario, having some gold from a gold mine is valuable. That's great. It's wonderful. Having the gold mine, <laughs> that much better. whole lot better. So much more valuable. Every reporter looks specifically to interview a person who was at the source of a newsworthy event. How much better would it be for the reporter to be at the event themselves, to see it with their own eyes and to hear it their own ears. Significantly better, I would say. Every reporter longs for that exact scenario to happen. Now, John is going to get at a very important source in today's passage, the source of love itself. This is this massive, this massive piece of everyone's life, everyone has experience with to some degree, and he's going to claim a very big thing. He's going to claim that love is not a created or time-constricted thing, but that love is and always has been from a single source, from a single source, meaning that love is something that can only come from one specific place. All the love that we've ever experienced, all the love that we've ever shown, some even will call it their own love. Like, oh, it's a loving person. This person loves a lot. You know, I have love in this way. We'll, we'll kind of claim that love for our own, but John's going to claim today that it came from one source. It wasn't your love at all. It wasn't my love at all. It was given to us from a source. 
So therefore, all genuine love that we see and experience, and I do say genuine for a reason, not all love or what we would label as love is actually love. All genuine love that we see and experience is in this world from any person or any experience trickled down from one specific place. One specific place. All of the real love came from one spot. Not places, not sources. One place, one source that has existed before time even did. And space and matter preceded all of that. It's a very significant thing. This source is, of course, God himself. This is what John is claiming. If you do, do this with me, think of the most love-filled moment you've ever experienced in your life. For everybody, that's probably something different, but think of the most love-filled experience you've ever had in your life. Or with someone, perhaps it was a moment experience with your parents, someone who treated you like a parent should treat you, so uh, perhaps a moment spent with your spouse, maybe you're married. Or if you're like most parents, a moment you experience with your kids or your kid. All of these moments were merely a taste of something from the true source. Love is the biggest, craziest, most wonderful thing any of us have really ever experienced. And all of us have experienced it to a different degree. Now, it's important to remember who we're hearing this from, who is speaking to us, and I've referenced him a bunch already. John, the guy who rested his head on Jesus, the one who had his feet washed by Jesus. How overwhelmed must John have felt as he remembered Jesus and wrote the words, God is love. How overwhelming would that be for somebody who literally laid his head on this person. I've been overwhelmed by the mere look at my son. I'm a new dad, so I've still got that going on. But the love I have for my son is coming out of a body that's been contaminated. Contaminated with cares of the world, sins of the world. Imagine walking with the, the very source, uncontaminated love. The spring itself, if you will. To uh, illustrate the importance of source, um, let me take you back to the year 2002. So long ago. This was two years after the apocalypse didn't happen. And one year after a very real threat did happen. September 11th, of course. None of which mattered to 12-year-old me. Didn't know what the apocalypse was. Didn't know why there were stacks of food in everybody's houses. And um, I did know about the trade centers, but I didn't fully understand it. None of it really mattered to me. What mattered to me was my Nintendo GameCube and my piano <laughs> and school. Those, th those were the things that really mattered to me. Um, I wasn't heartless. I did care about my family, but I spent my day, GameCube, school, and piano. In 2002, my parents made a wildly radical, radical decision. Um, and if you've known me for any amount of time, you probably know where this is going. And, and th that decision was to buy a piece of property that was completely off-grid, conveniently located in the Dangerous Bear Relocation Site for Kootenai County. No power, no sewer, no garbage. 
just bears that are not afraid of you. <laughs> this is why you may hear some of my friends jokingly say that I used to be Amish. Not true, by the way. <laughs> All the ones who say that are laughing. Shh, stop it. There's new people here, don't know me. <laughs> this is also why I'm known for having strange hobbies. When your Nintendo GameCube uh, turns into pine cones, <laughs> you're forced to find new forms of entertainment. Here, here's basically how that went. Mm. Oh! <laughs> Juggling. I don't know. Well, you got to do something. You got pine cones. By the way, there are pine cones that have little spikes on them. Don't recommend. Don't recommend. It was actually 2003 that we moved out there, out to that chunk of land, having absolutely no idea what we were in for. No idea. Lived in town our whole lives. The most country we ever got was like 20 minutes out of town. This was crazy and radical to us. But the hardest part about living out there turned out to not be the lack of a GameCube, but the lack of access to a clean water source. That turned out to be the hardest thing. We didn't have clean water out there. We didn't have a well. Now, we actually had access to a, to a uh, concrete-encased cistern. We had the cistern. It was, it was uh, I don't know how wide, the, well, I was a kid. I don't know. It was maybe like that. I don't know. It was this wide concrete hole in the ground, about 25 feet, 25 feet deep or so. Um, a fact of which we were actually grateful. If you know anything about wells, 25 is not enough. But we were grateful because that's less feet that you have to pull your bucket up with, <laughs> which we were using. By hand, with a rope tied to a cracked blue hand bucket, compliments of the auto department Post Falls Walmart. <laughs> so we had a bucket that wasn't made to haul clean water pulling muddy water out of a cistern, which was, by the way, also crawling with little these, these little green tree frogs. Um, needless to say, we weren't super comfortable washing our clothes and our dishes in this water, much less taking a drink of it. That wasn't on our mind. The water came out darker than our coffee. <laughs> and the frustrating thing, the thing that still to this day is like, ah, was it just up the hill there was a fresh spring, which was connected to a crystal clear, pure water table on somebody else's land. <laughs> if we could just, I don't know, drill down to it or, or dug, if only we could have accessed it. If only we had access to this crystal clear, pure, wonderful, drinkable water. There. The problem is the pulling came from that water table originally. It really did, sir. That on the way, the water passed through contaminants, passed through all sorts of muck, grime, and filth. Some might blame the water itself. Some might blame the contaminants. But the reality is that we could have all just been drinking pure water if we just drank from the source. Pure water was there. We were just getting it from the wrong place. We chose the wrong place. Well, I mean, we didn't really. I mean, it was there, but you get the analogy. A source matters so very, very much, and John claims today not to have just found love, but to actually have found the source 
of love. Wow. Amazing. Bold claim. So let's look at it. Uh, Verse 7 of our passage today. Dear friends, he says, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So love is from God. Love is sourced from God is actually what he's saying. This passage is precisely what Mike was alluding to last week. Remember Mike um, kind of throwing out a teaser for this, this message this week. Um, when he showed us that Greek phrase, which we'll put on the screen, I don't know how to pronounce it, but there it is. Uh, in English, it's basically theu, and that's definitely not how the Greek said it. But it literally means to be sourced from God, that this love is sourced directly from God. God is the source of love. Not just that he gives love out, but that he is the actual source. This is different, you understand, from handing someone a glass of water from the source. This is like drinking right out of the natural spring or right off of a, like a glacial runoff or out of a pure water table. It's just like that, right from the source. Most importantly, love from God is completely pure and undefiled. It has not flowed through any contaminants yet. That's where we come in. Woo! Good job, us. If love means that you know God, then the flip side is true as well. Because John is saying here that you know that you know God, God, based off of if you love like God. If love is from God, everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. The word knows there, by the way, is gnosko. It's a Greek word that implies not just knowledge of, but rather experiential knowledge, experience with God. So if you have experience with God, he's claiming you naturally will love that you are, you are going to be, forced is the wrong word, you are going to be compelled to love through your experience with God, like he's going to change you somehow. But the flip side is true as well. The one who does not, in verse 8, the one who does not know God, uh, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. So he's saying if loving means that you know God, then not Knowing, not loving, is really, really strong evidence that you don't know God. It's really strong evidence to the point where John, he doesn't even say it's strong evidence. John just says it's a fact. You don't know God. If you don't have love, you don't know him. Again, remember the source of who is speaking to us. This is John. He put his head on the source of love itself shoulder. Now, if this is you, if you're, you're someone who doesn't feel like the, you've been radically changed, like you understand love anymore, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there any encounter with God that fills you with love in your life? Is there any encounter God with that fills you with love? And if not, I would suggest you probably don't know God. You might know about God. You might even believe he's real and good. But John is saying that you don't know him. 
you don't gnosko him. You haven't had an experience with God. You haven't walked with God. The suggestion is that this source of love is not merely a grand experience, but indeed a life-changing or altering encounter. That being exposed to love changes a person. So my question is, is that true? Does being exposed to love change a person? Is John correct? I believe so. I believe so. In fact, I would claim that this is an easily observable truth all around us. All around us, this is easily observable. Ask any officer of the law or ask Jackson Lanternman from Juvenile Justice Outreach next time he visits us. What the difference, the effect that love has on the life of a child. Or watch some videos of random acts of kindness and the effect that that has on even grown adults. Even those who are bitter will soften at the right display of love, especially, this is so cool, especially if it is unwarranted love. The effect love has on a person is greatly increased if it is unwarranted love. Now, I am filled with love when a family member gives me a gift or a birthday wish on my birthday. I feel with I absolutely love it. I am shocked and most interestingly humbled when someone else gives me a gift or birthday wish. I don't know if you experience this, but when somebody else has no reason to love on you, loves on you, is humbling for some reason. It brings humility in. Humility, for some reason, increases love. I don't understand it. It just is. I've, I've experienced it. I imagine you have as well. Now, I have, I have discovered that I am far too ex obscure in my humor, conversations, and sermons. So let me lay this out plain and simple, lacking all the intrigue and none of the substance. Love has an actual effect on a person. The effect is made significantly stronger when that love is unwarranted. We have all defiled God's creation and are therefore undeserving of God's love. It is unwarranted. He sent his son, his one and only son, to us with the singular purpose of being spiritually attacked, tempted, beaten, nailed to a cross with pieces of sharp metal, followed by a man shoving his spear into his chest until he died. To the sound of an angry, vile crowd laughing at him. All so that that angry, vile crowd could be given eternal life with the Son. So, so unwarranted, inconceivably unwarranted. John says that if that hasn't humbled and changed you, you don't actually know him. You just know 
of him. There's no gnosko. This is all what John is talking about in verse 9 when he says God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. I want to shift gears a little bit here and, and, and draw your attention to the word revealed. God's love is revealed among us in this way. Revealed, not generated in this way, not began among us in this way. Love was not created the moment Jesus came to this earth and, and gave the ultimate sacrifice. It was revealed among us. God's love was already there. It always has been. Being an eternal being and being love means that love never began. Love simply just is and never wasn't. Sometimes grammar can't explain eternity. This means that when God judges a nation, he is still love. When God flooded the earth, he is still love. And when God created Adam and Eve, knowing they would choose pain, suffering, and death, he is still love. The very source of love itself was always there, making himself fully available. More than that, though, more than that. Not just making himself available. Re read verses 9 and 10 again with me, but notice specifically what love does. Love is doing something here. Love does something. Verses 9 and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son, sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Reaching with an outstretched arm to every human that ever walked this earth. Not forcing himself on anyone, but all to come and find rest. Not standing back, not forcing himself. Reaching, come find rest. This didn't start after the cross. We even have scriptural references to this. Hebrews 13, 8 says a very simple truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. For an Old Testament example, I'm just going to pull up one, but there are many. Isaiah 65, 1 and 2. I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the path that is not good, following their own thoughts. God allows us to choose. He does not force himself upon us. He merely bids us to come to him. That's my son. <laughs> Hi, buddy. <laughs> Look up to the cry room and Dimitri just, preach it, daddy. <laughs> uh, love is proactive, guys. It's proactive. 
It does not sit back and say, well, I'm fine. It's not my problem. I'm doing just great. You know what the craziest thing about that is, is that love doesn't even ask whose problem it is. Love just wants to see the object of its desire thrive. It's love's goal. I can tell you this from personal experience. If my son, who is only a year old, were to fall off a dock into a lake, what do you think I would do? Why would I jump after him? What if it wasn't my son? Someone else's son. What if the, this other son was the baby of, of a murderer rapist? What if the water was boiling and the only way to save the baby was to hold him up while I slowly die? I'm going somewhere with this. Grant me some faith. What if the murdering rapist was the one that fell in? And the only way to save him was to die a slow, painful death while I hold him up. During my, my studies this week, I came across some case study articles from various mental health institutes, um, one from whales.gov, that revealed a person's capacity for love was directly correlated to the amount of love they experienced as a child. Think like a child. I can't tell you that I would stand in boiling water with my family, who I feel a need to protect, up on a dock and save the life of a murdering rapist. I can't in good conscience tell you that I'm that radically in love with life. There's this capacity thing that happens after we grow up and we get hard. Can we all just take a moment and stop acting like adults for a second? Like we're fully grown and matured somehow. Put ourselves into the humble mindset of a child. See what Jesus did on the cross and actually be changed by it. We weren't radically saved so that we might love moderately. The source of love did not provide to us love so that we could love moderately. Worship team, you can come set up. In our relationships with each other, we are a lot like a metal water tank. The water we hold comes from the pure source, but over time, we have a tendency to rust allowing pieces of ourselves to become the center of attention. Sometimes we let contaminants in from the outside elements, letting something other than God be the center of attention. Sometimes we might even fill up with the wrong source, sourcing love from the wrong place around us. Meaning that the water we give out now has to be filtered by those who receive it. 
People are going to have to grant us some grace if they are going to get any of the source water out from time to time. And we, in turn, are going to have to grant some grace to others if we are going to receive source water or love from others. Love is patient. Love is kind. If our hearts haven't been radically changed by love, perhaps we're consuming from the wrong source. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize John and his words are true because you inspired them. Because he walked with you. He touched you. He felt you. He saw you. He heard you. He was radically changed by love. By you. The source of all love. He was radically changed. I believe that the vast majority, maybe even all, I don't know, of us in here have been radically changed by that source. But we sure can let rust build up. And none of us, I know none of us in, in, in this church have, have attained the kind of love you have. So, so we want more. If seeing you and experiencing you and experiencing your love is what changes us, we desire to experience more. Lord, would you continue to use your Holy Spirit to humble and convict us, to recognize, Jesus, what you did for us so that we would grow, grow in our love so that we can pour out, pour out pure, cleaner water, never growing tired of having to swap out the filter of the love that's given to us from others. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We worship you this morning. You're the reason we're here. Praise your holy name. Be honored by our worship this morning. We ask in your name. Amen.